Uh, it's wonderful to see you all again. Uh, again, it's uh, just a joy to be at one congregation again, isn't it, without having to have the, the two services. Uh, and today uh, we're having something we haven't had for a while in our church, which is after this service uh, we will have uh, coffee. Uh, and I, think, I guess there's tea as well. I'm only interested in coffee, but there is uh, tea and coffee. Uh, it's not guaranteed every single week uh, over the summer, uh, but um, it is guaranteed today. So uh, we have coffee and tea after the service, so you're very welcome uh, to stay uh, and join us for that. Uh, today also, uh, there is a Sunday school for the children uh, today, uh, so at the appropriate time uh, in the service, uh, I will um, say when, when, when to go out for Sunday school. That will be in the room uh, next door. Uh, for those of you that were are wondering why there's no Lord's table set up for communion, we're having communion tonight, uh, this week, rather than this morning. So um, if you want to uh, come tonight to celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, the service is at 6pm, uh, and Kevin's going to be preaching for us there. Uh, and then the only other notice I have is that on uh, Sue Bradley's funeral is this Tuesday, 12pm uh, here at the church, uh, and um, followed by a, a burial at Pelsall Cemetery at 1pm. Uh, most of you have heard by now that Les Ratherham passed away this week, uh, which uh, is very sad, but he has gone to be with, with the Lord, uh, which is better for him by far. Uh, I haven't got details yet of, of his funeral, so um, I'll let you know uh, when that is in due course. Well, I'm going to begin uh, our time uh, of worship together with some verses which will be very familiar uh, to those that were at the Holiday Club this week. Uh, we were learning a verse, um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. And this is what those words say. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were thinking this week about God's amazing grace and how he has saved us and given us eternal life uh, through dying for us on the cross and rising from the dead. And we're going to sing of that grace now. Uh, with the song, Who Breaks the Power of Sin and Darkness. And again, if you're at the Holiday Club this week, this song is very uh, familiar to you, and it sings of God's amazing grace. So let's stand together, uh, and let's worship God by singing together, Who Breaks the Power of Sin and Darkness.
Saints. Uh, we're going to have uh, a Bible reading now from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11. If you have one of the church uh, Bibles uh, here, it's page 1179, uh, Philippians chapter 2, and Andrew's going to come and read verses 5 to 11 for us. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, those verses speak of our mindset being the same as the Lord Jesus, who was humble and came to earth to die for our sins. And it's amazing that he loved us so much that he was willing to come and do that. And our next song uh, says, uh, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. So this song speaks of the amazing love uh, that Jesus has for us. So let's again stand as we sing together. I stand amazed in the presence.
Please uh, take your seats. Well, over this last uh, week, we've had uh, lots of children uh, and leaders as well running around uh, in our church, uh, having a great time uh, thinking about the wordless book. Now, uh, some of you will know by now what the wordless book is, but some of you uh, may not know. So if you've been here this week, you'll know that we've been learning uh, the gospel, which means good news, uh, through the story of this wordless book. Uh, And the wordless book has five pages, five colours, which you'll see all around uh, the church. There's the the gold page, which reminds us of heaven, uh, where God is and where uh, we uh, want to be, want to be with God. Then we looked at the dark page, which spoke about sin and why we can't get to heaven on our own and uh, how that separates us from God. And then we looked at the red page, which reminded us of how Jesus has died for our sins and he's come back to life so that we can be forgiven of all that we've done wrong. Then we looked at the white page, which reminded us of how God cleans us from our sin and makes us right with him so we can be his friends and we can go to be with him forever in heaven. And then we had the green page, which reminds us that when we become Christians and ask God to forgive us, he helps us to grow uh, more and more like Jesus uh, through our lives. So I want to say, first of all, a big uh, thank you to everyone uh, in the church who's been praying for this week. We had a really uh, brilliant week. Uh, There was no uh, issues with with COVID or uh, any other uh, bad safety stuff or anything like that. It was all really, uh, really good. The only things we had to focus on was uh, winning games and uh, singing songs and getting the actions right, which a few of our leaders, uh, especially the male leaders, couldn't seem to figure out actions and words uh, at the same time. Uh, But it was really uh, a wonderful week. We we didn't have to worry about anything except those things. Uh, But if we could... um, Uh, If I could ask, if you were a leader or a child that came this week, could you stand up uh, for for me? Uh, If you were involved as a child or a leader or a young leader, uh, so you see us um, uh, dotted around uh, the the room here. Uh, I just wanted to say on behalf of the church, first of all, uh, a huge thank you to all of the leaders. Uh, I don't know if you all know this, especially if you've, you've come here this morning as parents, but uh, these leaders uh, don't get paid to do this. Uh, many of them have taken annual leave from work in order to, to help at the Holiday Club, uh, and they do this because uh, they really love Jesus, and they really believe all of the things that we've been teaching and all of the things we've been singing about this morning uh, we don't believe that these are fairy stories. They, we, we all really believe that this is the best news ever. And so we're willing to sacrifice time and take time off of our jobs and uh, turn up to church and do all the fun things we've done because we really believe it's true. Uh, and also I want to say a big thank you to all the children that came uh, because you made the week... Well, it'd be rubbish if you didn't come, wouldn't it, really? So I'm really glad that you've come. Uh, you were brilliant at listening and getting stuck into all the things that we did. Uh, so just a huge thank you to all of you uh, for the week that we've had. So take your seats um, after uh, the thank you. 
Uh, I'm going to pray and just give thanks to God. Uh, and then uh, we're going to sing one more song before the children can go to their Sunday school class. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to say thank you so much. Uh, first of all, uh, for the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sins and he has risen from the dead. We thank you for this because without this, there would be no way that we could be with you in heaven. There'd be no way we could have a relationship with you. Uh, and we want to say thank you for all that you've done for us. Uh, we are amazed that you love us and amazed at your grace. And in our verse that we learnt this week, we uh, read how you have prepared good works for us to do as your people. And we thank you for the good work of the Holiday Club this week. We thank you for all the work that the leaders have done. We thank you for keeping us safe. We thank you for giving us such a wonderful time. And we thank you for each child that came this week to the Holiday Club. And we continue to pray that all the things that we learnt would be remembered and understood. We pray that after the summer, our Discoverers Club would build up in numbers, that lots of children would come. And we pray that even today, as we uh, have our, um, our children's class next door, uh, and as the rest of us stay in, in this room and hear about Jesus, uh, I pray that we would understand clearly who you are and all that you've done for us so that we can live our lives for you and grow as your people. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing one more time before the Sunday school uh, go next door. Uh, we're going to sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. Together.
If you take your seats, and if you are uh, old enough to come to the holiday club, <laughs> you can go uh, next door with Paula, so you can either go through this door, uh, or if it's easier, you can go through the back door and around that way, uh, and Paula and Abby uh, are going to take you uh, through to there. And for those of us that are remaining in here, if you turn uh, with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, in the Church Bibles, uh, that's page 1093. Uh, so if you have uh, a Bible, it would be helpful uh, to have one to follow along uh, with what I'm saying this morning. Uh, if you haven't got one, there's plenty at the back if you wish to go uh, and grab one. Uh, but it's page 1093 uh, in those, those Church Bibles. And I'll turn to it now in my own Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 2. And this morning we're going to look really from verse 22 uh, down to verse uh, 36. Well, there's one one big uh, question uh, this morning that uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, is going to answer for us. This is the question, and I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to show how Peter does it. The question is this, why should we call on the name of Jesus to save us from God's judgment? Peter answers this question, why should we call on the name of Jesus to save us from God's judgment? Now those of you here that are Christians, uh, you should know the answer to this question, otherwise you probably aren't a Christian if you don't know. I'm not going to tell you something this morning which is uh, brand new. We're going to talk about something that's really old. But this old truth of who Jesus is and what he has done should lead us to worship. It should lead us to worship him and it should give us confidence and backbone that we are following one who truly is Lord and King of all. We're in Acts chapter 2. We've been looking at this for a number of weeks It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. The apostles are speaking the wonders of God in languages they have never spoken before. And people are wondering, what does this mean? And Peter begins a sermon by saying, this is a new day. A new day of the Holy Spirit. And we ended last week in verse 21 after Peter says it's a new day that's going to end with a last day the day of judgment. And that would be bad news, except, verse 21, look at that verse, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, every single one of us is one day going to stand before God. We are going to face him, and we are going to have to give an answer to our lives. And unless we have called on the name of the Lord then we are going to face his judgment because we haven't called on the only one who is able to help. If you remember last week, calling on someone is to ask for their help. To call on someone's name is to rely upon their character and ability to help. And the Lord is one who loves us. His character is of compassion. And he is able to save us from God's judgment. But today's, answer, today's question is, who is this Lord and why should we call on him to save us? 
And Peter tells us this Lord has a name. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what I've called this sermon. And Peter is going to tell us why it is Jesus who we call upon to save us. So let's read uh, the passage, verses 22 uh, down to verse 36 of Acts. So you can follow along in your Bibles and let's see Peter's explanation of why Jesus is the one to save us. This is God's word, so let's listen carefully. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you, will let, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he is received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is Lord. That's Peter's main point. And if you don't remember anything else that I'm about to say, remember this. Jesus is Lord. That's Peter's main point. He gives four truths about Jesus, and then he sums up in verse 36. If you just look again at verse 36, there's four truths, and then he says, Therefore, so because of these truths, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so the four truths that we're going to see are these. Number one, Jesus is the Lord on display. Number two, Jesus is the Lord who died. Number three, he's the Lord who defeated death. And number four, he's the Lord who divinely rules. That's what Peter explains about Jesus. 
and why he can save us. So first of all, then, number one, Jesus is the Lord on display. We see that in verse 22. He begins, fellow Israelites. So the Israelites were the people he was speaking to. And Jesus, we're going to see, is the Lord on display. And the Israelites were the ones who saw Jesus on display because they lived in Israel. That's why they're called Israelites. And Jesus is called here Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth was the place where Jesus was from. It was a small town in Israel. It was looked down on by everybody. Nobody expected a, a, a Messiah, a Savior, to come from Nazareth. In fact, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, told someone called Nathaniel that the Messiah has come from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So Nathaniel couldn't believe that someone from Nazareth could be the Messiah. But Peter, Philip says, come and see. And when Nathaniel went and saw Jesus, he saw that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And Peter is saying to the Israelites the same thing. I know where he's from. I know he's Jesus of Nazareth. But look at what he did. Come and see. And so he reminds them of a couple of things that they saw of Jesus. First of all, it says he was a man. Now that's important to remember. Jesus is a man. He's not an angel. He's not an alien. He is a man. He's biologically like us. He walked. He talked. He hungered. He thirsted. He cried. He grieved. He experienced all the things that we experienced. He was a man just like us biologically. But he also was not only a man. Jesus was very unique. Notice it says in uh, verse 22 that he was a man accredited by God to you. Now that phrase there, accredited to you, is an interesting phrase. It literally means put on display. Put on display. So for example, if you were uh, in, in, in court and someone was being tried and you were shown CCTV imagery of an event the CCTV would be that event being accredited to you. So Jesus, if you like, to the crowd was someone who you have seen on display, like on CCTV. In other words, you can't deny that this has happened. You can't deny what Jesus has done. It is, it's been shown to you. He is the Lord on display and we know he's the Lord on display because of what he did. Look again at verse 22. How was he shown to be the Lord? Well, it was through miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles are supernatural uh, events from God, things that only God can do. Wonder is the response to a miracle. So if I was to produce a miracle, which I'm not uh, able to do, I'm, I'm not God. Uh, but if I was to pr produce something, you might go, wow, that's amazing. That's what wonder is. And when people saw the miracles of Jesus, 
That's what they did. They were amazed. We read that over and over through the New Testament. And a sign is what the miracle points to. So the miracle caused wonder, which pointed to the fact that Jesus was not just a man. He is the Lord on display. Jesus is God. And you can read about all these things in the New Testament. It's accredited to us by the eyewitness accounts that are written in the New Testament. Jesus uh, performed many miracles. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed the sick. He uh, opened the eyes of the blind. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead to life. All of these things happened in history. They are accredited by God to us. And Peter says that God did them among us. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus did so many of these miracles that sometimes the New Testament writers haven't got the, 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 the space on their papyrus to write them all down. And so they say things like this in Matthew uh, chapter 8 and chapter 15. It says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. There's so many here, they just summarize. These are miracles that cause wonders that point to the fact that Jesus is the Lord on display. Now, if you wonder, does God really exist? You look at Jesus... And you see, yes, he does really exist, because Jesus is the Lord on display. These are not made-up stories. These are not myths or fairy tales. These are eyewitness accounts that Jesus is the Lord on display. Notice at the end of verse 22, he says, as you yourselves know. In other words, you can't deny this. And even the enemies of Jesus back in those days, they never denied what he did. They just denied what it meant. Jesus is the Lord on display. But secondly, Jesus is the Lord who died. This is verse 23. Uh, In verse 23, we read that Jesus was handed over. So he was given uh, over to Israel to be crucified. In other words... Uh, The Israelites, with the help of the religious leaders, called for his death as they were egged on by Jesus' enemies. There was a plot to have Jesus killed, but notice who really is in control in verse 23. It says, he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So there was a plan here to put Jesus to death. Jesus had to die. It was part of the plan of God. Foreknowledge means prearranged. So there was a plan that God had already put in place that Jesus was going to die. He came to earth knowing that this was the plan. God was not impotently watching on, watching events, wishing that he could change them. The death of Jesus Christ was part of the plan of God, because God is the the, the transcendent, eternal, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient creator and sustainer of all things. He doesn't impotently watch anything. He is in control of it all, including the very death of his own son. However, in this verse, we also see 
that people are responsible for this death because it says, with the help of wicked men. The wicked men are called wicked because, well, they acted wickedly. And so they are responsible for the death of Jesus. And the Bible teaches both these things are true in regards to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the deliberate plan of God, prearranged before the world was even made. And it was the responsibility of the wicked man who put him to death. How can this be true? Well, we can't fully comprehend how these two truths fit together, but neither can you take either one away. But the Bible's teaching is this. Jesus died to save us from our sin. That was God's plan. It was our sin that caused him to go there. But he died so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He died in your place for your sin. That was the plan of God. And Jesus could do this because one of the the great miracles, the great wonders, was the fact that he was sinless. He didn't have any sin of his own to pay for. He didn't have to face God's judgment because of sin. He faced God's judgment in your and my place. So we don't have to. So he is the Lord on display, so we know that he is God. But he is the Lord who died because it was God's plan so that we could be forgiven of our sin. But that's not the end of the story. If Jesus was just a man who died, he would be a failed savior, like many before him and many since. What makes Jesus unique? What makes Christianity the only way to God, the only way to eternal life, is that we worship a Lord who defeated death. Jesus is the Lord who defeated death. Most of Peter's sermon focuses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the the, the New Testament focuses on it a lot. Uh, Sometimes if you're really excited about something, has anyone ever told you, will you stop going on about it? Because it's just getting on my nerves. Um, Sometimes you might get told that if you're excited about something. But with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should be going on about it. It shouldn't be something that you should come to me and say, will you stop going on about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because it's the the greatest news in history. We should be going on about it because the apostles went on about it. The apostles died going on about it. They were killed because they believed in this. Jesus is the Lord who defeated death. It's the best news ever. The best news ever. And so most of Peter's sermon focuses on it. We see that first of all in verse 24. It says, he, so he died, and just take these words in, because they're, they're old words, we know this, but it is amazing. But God raised him from the dead. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? He died, he raised him from the dead. Why did God raise him? Well, look at the end of verse 24. He raised him, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That word agony there is an interesting word. Literally translated, it means birth pains, labor pains. And that's a good uh, way of explaining what was going on here. If you like, Jesus dying on the cross was like the start of labor. Which, when it starts, 
It's not going to stop, is it, until that life has been born. And so Jesus dies on the cross. That's the beginning of his agony. And he stays in agony until new life comes. He's risen from the dead. That's what's the the kind of imagery that Peter is using here. And just like when a baby is being born, it's not possible for that baby just to stay there. It's got to come out, hasn't it? And that's what's going on here. It's impossible for death to keep hold of Jesus because Jesus' agony is like that of new birth. He's going to come out. He's going to come out of the grave. New life is coming. Jesus is going to come alive. And praise God, on the third day, he rose from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. If you think about it, it makes sense. If sin brings death, then one who has paid for sin is going to bring life. That's what Jesus does. Eternal life. Life from death. And Peter backs up what he's saying from the Old Testament of the Bible. All of this sermon is is based on the scriptures that were written in the Old Testament. And Peter begins to speak of King David in verse 25. And King David wrote many psalms. And one of those uh, psalms was Psalm 16, where Peter quotes from here. And in Psalm 16, David is, is thinking about death. I don't know if any of you ever think about death. You might think it's a... Uh, well, in our world, actually, people want to avoid thinking about death, don't they? It's the, the, the most terrifying thing to think about. But here, David is thinking of, of death in this psalm. But, but David has a strange way of thinking about death. Rather than fearing death, look at verse 20, uh, 26. It says, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest in hope. So rather than being scared of death, King David, his heart is glad, he's rejoicing and he's resting in hope as he looks on the Lord who is before him. So he's looking at God, he recognizes his God's right by his side, and because he sees that, he says, I don't need need to fear death. In fact, not only do I not fear death, when I think of death, I sing. How many of you do that? You think of death and you sing. Well, is, is David crazy? Why is he, why is he doing this? this? Well, he's, he explains in verse 27. Why does he sing in the face of death? Because of the joy of knowing that God will not abandon him in the grave. David is so confident of this, he says, my body's not even going to decay. Now, a body starts decaying pretty quickly, especially in Israel where it's hot. So David must be thinking about resurrection. He's not, you know, bio-freezing it or something like that. Uh, They didn't have that in Israel. He's thinking about resurrection if he's saying, my body's not going to decay. He doesn't fear death because he knows, I'm going to come back from death. And David believes this in verse 28 because the God who is before him has shown him the paths of life And as a follower of those paths that God has shown him, he knows that they lead to joy in God's presence forevermore. That's the hope of the people of God. We see God before us. 
We know he's by our side, and we know that he will not abandon us in the grave. We know that there's resurrection coming. And so when we think of death as Christians, we don't have to fear. We can even sing. And as a pastor, especially over this last year, I have to say, I've sat at the deathbed of many Christians. And I can tell you the truth. Sometimes, with some Christians, we've sang psalms together. We've praised God together. There was one Christian man in particular a few years ago. I prayed with him. He was going to die. And as I left, he said, praise the Lord. As he's dying. How can he be this way? Because he has God before him. He knows resurrection's coming. And some of you um, perhaps are watching on the live stream and not able to come this morning because you're facing death even. Don't fear. We worship the Lord who defeated death. He defeated death. David knew that. And the people of God can know that. You can know that. But there's a problem in verse 29. There's a problem with David's words in the psalm. Look at the verse. It says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. In other words, you can go and have a look at David's tomb. He's in there. And so, that's a problem, isn't it? If David's saying in the psalm, I'm not going to be abandoned to the grave, my body's not even going to decay, and then a a few hundred years later, his body's still in the tomb. What's going on? Was David trusting God for nothing? Was his hope a false one? Not at all. David wasn't talking of himself. David was a prophet in verse 13 and 31. A prophet is one who speaks God's word, who predicted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. David knew that he would die, but he believed that God had promised him that someone would sit on his throne forever, eternally. We can read about that in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Someone was going to sit on his throne forever. So if someone was going to reign on his throne forever, that had to be someone who would would be alive forever, wouldn't they? And so if someone was going to reign forever, if they were going to die, they would have to come back to life. He was going to be raised And look at verse 31. Peter says, Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Jesus Christ did not see decay. On the third day, his body was raised. David was looking forward to Jesus' resurrection, knowing that that would guarantee his resurrection too. And so as Christians... We look at the Lord who defeated death, and we don't fear death, not because we're anything special, but because Jesus rose from the dead, and we know that we too will raise with him. And so we can sing in the face of death, because we look to the Lord who defeated death, you see? Judgment day is coming. We are going to face God, and that can be terrifying. But if you call on the name of the Lord who defeated death for salvation, he takes your judgment and he gives you new eternal life. 
And friends, who else are you going to call on? Why would you call on anyone else? Who else has come back from the dead? The answer, nobody. Only Jesus. Look at verse 32. That's what Peter says. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. You know, they are witnesses of it. They saw him. They saw his body, not just in the grave. They saw him alive. They went to their death saying they saw him. When people were trying to tell them to deny it, they refused. They died because they said, no, he really is alive. Jesus is risen. They are eyewitnesses of it. There is evidence more than almost any other, uh, any other event in history. There is abundant evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if you want to speak to me more about the evidence of the resurrection, I've got loads of resources uh, that I can give you to show you that Jesus really did rise from the dead. This is not made up. He is the Lord who defeated death. But he was raised from the grave and then he spent 40 days on the earth before he went to an even higher place. The final fact Jesus, uh, Peter tells us about in his sermon is that Jesus is the Lord who divinely rules. This is what Peter means in verse 33. He says, exalted to the right hand of God. That means uh, the right hand of God is the place of authority and power. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and now he's in heaven, sat at God's right hand, where is the which is the place of authority and power, so therefore where he rules as king. And from that position of power, he rules by sending his Holy Spirit to live, um, live in God's people. And so he rules through a spirit-filled people, who are the church of Jesus Christ. And throughout history, many people are being brought into the church as they are saved from their sin and given new life and filled with the Spirit. And that's the day we're in right now. We're in a day where Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over everything and over everyone. And he's building a people called the church who will rule and reign with him forever. Again, this is backed up in the Old Testament with another psalm of David. Uh, if you look at verse uh, 34 and 35, uh, this is Psalm 110. Uh, Peter says in verse 34 that David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord, which is talking of God the Father, said to my Lord, which must be talking of Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. A footstool uh, is a, a phrase meaning subjugated or ruled over or, in this passage, facing God's judgment. Until Jesus stands in judgment, he is seating as ruler. And that's like a Roman thing. that The, the king would sit and rule, but when he was going to make a judgment, he would stand up. And what's going on is we're in a day where Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. He's ruling over everything, until the day comes when he returns and he judges the world for sin, unless we've called on the name of the Lord to be saved. And that day is coming. If you just turn back one page uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, in verses 9 to 11, we read the eyewitness account of the ascension. Acts chapter 1, verse 9, 
says he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So he's coming back. He's coming again, and he's coming to take his people home and to judge those who have rejected him. He is the Lord who divinely rules. And that's where he is today. Jesus Christ is ruling from heaven. And so Peter sums up in verse 36. He said, Jesus is the Lord on display. He's the Lord who died. He's the Lord who defeated death. He's the Lord who divinely rules. Therefore, let all Israel, and you could substitute Israel for all Pelsel and all whoever else you've come from this morning, all of you be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom we all, by our sin, crucified, both Lord, he is God, and Messiah, he is Savior. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And he's shown us why that is true. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian, this, I, I should imagine, is all uh, pretty basic stuff, isn't it? But may it not get old. In fact, if you're a Christian, this should encourage us and give us the backbone we need to remember we worship a real, living Savior. We do not worship some God out there, somewhere. We worship a God who came here. We worship a God who has shown himself to be true in history. Give, have confidence in that. When you're worried about wavering, read this sermon and remember, no, he's real. But this also, as Christians, should give us impetus to go and share this with others. Because this is good news, isn't it? We've spent the week doing the holiday club this week because we want to share this. Because this is the best news ever. And if you're not a Christian this morning, what should you do? Well, in a couple of weeks when we look at the next part of, uh, of Acts chapter 2, you'll see exactly what to do, but I'm not going to hold it off to then. Look at verse 38. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent means turn from sin to Jesus. Turn to Jesus Ask him for forgiveness, and he will, and follow him as your king, both now and forevermore. And if you want to know more about how to do that, more about Jesus and, and all that he is, uh, I'm, I'm hanging around after church, um, and I would love to share more with you about Jesus. Um, we go on about Jesus, don't we? <laughs> but it's not boring. It's not something you want me to shut up about, I hope. This is Jesus. This is wonderful, isn't it? Well, brothers and sisters, um, I've said this should give us backbone. It should give us impetus to mission, but also this should cause us to want to sing, shouldn't it? And we're going to do that now. As we think of Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done, this should, in our hearts, make us just dying to praise him. And in the end, that is the response, isn't it? Worship. So let's stand. Uh, we're going to sing... Uh, God, the uncreated one, 
Uh, and in the chorus of this song, it speaks about him being king forevermore. And that's who Jesus is. So let's stand as we have this final song, God the Uncreated One.
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Amen. Amen.